Welcome to the Rockonomics Podcast, episode number 59. I'm your host, Dill, and today we don't have just one guest, we have three, and all at the same time. <laughs> yep, we basically have the percussion section of the summer package tour that is Train, Goo Goo Dolls, and Alan Stone, which actually worked well because each is at a different stage of their career. So we'll have some sage advice from veteran Craig McIntyre of Goo Goo Dolls, Train drummer Matt Musty holds the middle ground between the old and the new, and Griffin Wright of Alan Stone's band is playing the part of our young hired gun. I made the rookie mistake of not having them identify themselves, so upon my first question, you'll hear Matt talk about slugging it out in New York, then Griffin talk about how taking a not-so-great gig led to meeting Alan Stone, followed by Craig, who I do identify by name. I had the pleasure of meeting up with all three in one of their spacious hotel suites, and our roundtable-like discussion went a little something like this. I've seen two of you on, on videos talking about networking and people vouching for you and, and stuff like that. And I thought maybe a way to start is I've had a couple of guests that I think you guys know about, and they've left me with a couple of quotes that were kind of uh, profound um, and the first one's from Jason Sutter. Mm -hmm. And I think you've got a picture of Jason on your Instagram, the mm -hmm. two of you. Yeah, very, um, very close friends. He's share Vertical Rise and Vertical Horizon. I think you guys might have uh, both played it at one time. Is that true? Um, I think he played on one of their records. Um, I played with them live, like, for two years. Okay. But, he, yeah, he's been long associated with them. I'm oh, sorry. And then Smash Mouth. I don't know. Did you ever play with Smash Mouth? I never toured. I've just done a couple, a couple sessions with them. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, regardless, yeah. his uh, his quote to me was, "Getting fired is a great thing to happen to a young player," <laughs> and that happened when he was, I think, he was going to do a gig with Juliana Hatfield at the time, mm -hmm. and he was in Miami finishing up school, went to Boston, and it fell through. Mm. And he said it was a fun experience because it just showed that nothing's guaranteed in this line of work, and right. you know. Always have a backup plan, or always be prepared, or you know. Uh, what was kind of an early lesson each of you might have taken away in your 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 early years of trying to, you know, make a dent in this, doing what you do. Oh man, um, <laughs> an early. I mean, the it, it's so typical, but working hard is is the thing that always shines through. I think you know, it it's easy to say to look back on it and say, yeah, I did the work, I did everything right, but, man, I lived in New York, too, and it was it was just, I look at those days now as, like, really informative and really great, um, and I romanticize them a bit, but they were, if I'm real about it, they were some of the crappiest, the worst times of my life, right. you know, and it really made you appreciate the things that you got later, even if it's just a little bit, uh, getting ahead a little bit, I really appreciated that more because I had really cut my teeth and done the done the real down and dirty stuff in New York. I right. got the early restaurant gig and and just like was hardly making breaking even every month. And I don't know that was that was a good bunch of early lessons. Okay, yeah. I want to get into a little bit of that later, yeah. but I'll let you, I'll let you guys if you guys have anything yeah. to add or anything profound. I think it's uh, just super. Um, timely that you started with that quote because that's been the theme of this entire kind of experience so far for me um, like how I came to meet Alan Stone and everything like that it, it came from a situation that was seemingly, seemingly a, a kind of a bad decision in a way um, got me on tour with a with a band that was kind of a 
you know, less, uh, an interesting experience, but I was able to meet Alan. And then for a couple of years after that, I was kicking myself for even taking that gig. Right. Um, oh, man, because I ended up losing kind of a good high-profile, high you know, kind of Disney pop gig. And then, uh, and then Alan called me, and I was like, oh, well, there's no loss, you know? Like, like it doesn't matter. And going off the hard work kind of concept, it's, it's like as long as you're pushing forward and everything, like, you just never know who you're going to meet. And, and you never really see it when you're in the trenches. It's only when you can kind of look back. And being a young guy, I don't have a lot of hindsight. So it's, it's kind of nice to kind of put those dots together as things move forward. Right. Yeah. Nice. Craig, anything to add? I mean, with me, my whole, I mean, my existence of being a musician was very Three Musketeers up to a certain point, which that means that I started the bands. <laughs> right. All the bands were my friends. Uh, it was very much like that, you know, all for one, one for all kind of thing. The lessons I kind of learned were, was once those bands would break up, so which would be different than getting fired or something right, like right. that. I really learned that I was on my own, no matter what, no matter how much of a support system I had or if I had a band that were going towards the same goals, that no matter what, it was up to me to push forward. Well, in kind of getting to the, you know, you're starting out in the, in the path that you guys have taken, um, I go to, a, I was lucky enough to nab Fred Armisen, and I think, did you work with him recently? My girlfriend worked with him for. She's doing a synthesizer documentary project called The Resonator, and he was he was way into it, and we we were able to grab him for uh, to come play it and do actually play drums through it, and it's uh, and and actually he did like comedy through it, played bass through it, played guitar, keys. It it was it was really cool, and he was down to down to come and hang and just had a blast. Yeah, that's right. He's He's, he's pretty incredible guy. Well, I, I I nabbed him on the pretense that I was only going to talk about Trenchmouth, his, his punk band. Yeah. But regardless, he, he had a great quote that, I mean, unfortunately, I think it, it applies to everybody who's out for any job, but his was, we thought everything was our big break. Yeah. And, you know, going back to when you guys were, you know, I, I know one of you was at Berkeley. Was at Berkeley? Uh, I went to Berkeley. Okay. Yeah. No matter, when you, when you first stepped out to try to make it, there's always that you know that opportunity that doesn't pan out. Did you guys have plenty of experience with that? Like this is this is this is it. You know? Oh yeah, I moved to LA for for six months out of Berkeley, and and um, something came up in LA. I moved to LA. Something came up in New York that brought me to New York. I was kind of just wherever everything was the biggest opportunity that I'd, I'd ever hmm. seen. You right. Know? So I just went wherever the wind blew. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, I think that's part of it, though. You know, the the crapshoot yeah. of men throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks and the perseverance who knows yeah it takes a lot of years to um, realize that the prize is in the work Mm -hmm. you know you you do you do just follow those dangled carrots for a long time and every little move to LA or back and forth or every little you know guy that says he works for a record company comes to your gig is like the biggest carrot you've ever seen um, and that can throw you off. That can throw you off your your momentum of becoming a better musician, keeping an open mind to other things, mm-hmm. and knowing that things don't last forever. So I think once you realize that there's you know there's no rainbow, there's no gold at the end of the rainbow. It's mm-hmm. like your your success is the work. You know, right? It really is. Um, 
you know, like Griffin was saying, like he was in a bad situation, but there was a door closing and a door open because his Alan Stone thing world was kind of in there. What he didn't do is stop working hard. Yeah. So right. that's that's the prize. You yeah. know, it's the way I look at it. Now, when you started out, did you were you in a bank? Were you in a situation where like I want to, I'm in a band. We want to make get a deal. We want to make it. Are you Absolutely. two the same way? Or were you more like? I just want to play music. I want to hook up with. I was the opposite. Yeah, and I, I uh, I've always kind of gravitated toward the sideman, strictly sideman freelance thing, and um, and that's kind of been my world. Like I love, I always say that I love to be produced, you know, because really I don't know and what's cool and what's not. I I like to interpret someone's vision and make a producer or an engineer happy, and that's that's my world. I don't I don't have too much experience aside from like my high school ska band of like being in a true band band and being like all for one one for all three mm-hmm. musketeers style mm-hmm. so that's that's pretty rare to me um, and do you think that's a, a geographical thing too meaning like meaning where like I'm from where you grew up because it reminds Maybe. me of our friend John Button great bass player yeah who he always told me he grew up like in I think Anchorage or Fairbanks or something like that and he said I never was in a band. I never thought about being in a band. I, I, he looked at, you know, he just focused on Lee Sklar and just like these session players. Mm-hmm. And that, he had a vision to be that kind of, and he is, and he's very successful. But that was his vision, like from the beginning. And when talk, and he's, a, he's closer to my age, and talking to him, I couldn't relate because to me it was all about, you know, Being the garage. It was yeah. all about the garage yeah. and the guitar player next door and let's make noise together. It was that whole, you know, when when I was learning how to play, when the guitar player next door was learning how to play, you really got me. I was too. Mm-hmm. I was learning how to play those eighth notes on the hi-hat. And he was going da-da-da-da. And I was going Oh, that locks together. I get it, you know. It was all my learning was basically from other musicians telling me what to do and what not to do. Right. You know, Craig, lay off the eighth notes on the bass drum. I got it. Boom, 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 boom. Why are you playing? Because that's what Peter Chris did. You know what I mean? Like, like no, it's like just play one and three or one, you know, I mean, to, you know, so I would learn. It was not so much a drum teacher teaching me that. It was like learning like trial by fire. Doing it, yeah. Really. Were you ever, were you ever reticent leaving a band situation? Like when you did think, or when the opportunity came where it's like, you're going to be a hired gun or you're going to be a session guy. You're like, eh, were you, was it was a part of you like well I'm letting go of a dream or was a part of you like it's the same dream? Here, here's here's something that that stands out big time. So I would have been so my whole life I had been uh, there would be times I'd have a lot of bands because it was seven days in a week. Right, right. So I'd have a punk band, I'd have a, a blues band, I'd have R and B band, rock band, all this stuff. But it was all about like I was putting eggs in different baskets, but I was those baskets were equally like, okay, one thing could really hit big. So it was all about doing that. And just the years went on and working some day jobs, support myself. And then I remember I got an offer to join like a full-time kind of working band that was like, had made records, you know, they were kind of in the R and B bluesy kind of thing. Right. They did their own records, did some festivals, the jazz festivals, all this stuff. They were kind of like a, a good all-around working band, but not a top 40 band. You know, I had always stayed away from that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was, 
And at that time, that was really like selling your soul. It's like, I can't do it. I can't play YMCA. I would never, ever do that. I would never, ever do that. So I get to about 27. So I've made it that far without without playing Brown Eyed Girl, you know? So I I get to like 27, and this guy who was kind of a mentor, drummer, was a bit older, and I used to take lessons from him here and there. And and he said, you know, you've quit your day job. You're really diving into... To music and you're doing all these different projects and you're probably borrowing money from your parents which I wasn't but I was barely getting by he said what do you think a professional musician is and I looked at a professional musician as Larry Mullen you know like yeah. a guy in one band mm-hmm. who makes a lot of money playing music that's a professional musician he really set me straight he's like if you're a professional musician you're going to play weddings you're going to teach you're going to do a little bit of everything, but it's all going to be around you playing music. Right, right. And I said, oh. And then he said, because this band I was joining did do the occasional wedding. They did corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he said, you're 27. You better do it now. <laughs> you better do this stuff now because I know a lot of people that got really lucky. They got to play the music they wanted to play. And then they got to 40. And then all of a sudden they got to play like a cover gig or they got to play a wedding. And they, number one, don't know what to do. They don't know any songs because right. they've been playing the same 20 songs in their their dream band. Um, and uh, so they don't know any songs. They can't play with brushes. They you know don't know any of this stuff. It's like, get it out of your system now. And then if you don't have to do it anymore, if it pops up again when you're older it won't be this emotional like selling your soul kind of thing it just will be this thing that it's a moment in time you're just right. like oh yeah I'm doing, doing a corporate gig doing a function you won't, it won't be like a, a judgment of your character it won't be that you failed being a musician yeah you know and I could see that if somebody waited that long to do it that they wouldn't be good at it and they'd be really depressed like they failed mm-hmm. so I just went head on at that age <laughs> bought a tux I went head on and 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 I basically uh, like I've never been a jazz player, but like I basically learned all those songs on somebody else's dime. Right, I got paid to and that kind of broadened you out. Yeah, because I was in a low pressured situation. You know, I'd just be in a room with a a mutual audience or audience that didn't give a shit, and and I'm just sitting there like, oh, I'm gonna really learn how to stir the soup, you know, and (laughs) really, and then you know, learn all these songs and a mellow tone and all these standards and. uh, it did, did wonders for my plan. And then every gig I got after that, it seemed like I everything I learned from that world, you know, just being a, a versatile, yeah, yeah. you know, just made, it turned me into a musician and not just a drummer playing a specific kind of music. Right. You know. Interesting. Um, it's funny you mentioned about a job. What was your last job prior to drumming? Mine was working in a, a plating factory. Like a so, ceramics or no plating? It was like oh, gold. Wait. It was like gold plating. Okay. So what they would do is they would they would plate. They would do some costume jewelry, but they would plate um, like uh, military parts. Okay. Um, and part and like circuit boards that went inside computers because you need to plate that metal so the metal doesn't rust inside your computer. Right. It was. It was. Dark. Doesn't it sound was, glamorous. It was. It was shitty. Luckily, I got into well, shipping. You wore the tux when you I got into shipping and receiving. Just for the job you want. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I got into shipping and receiving, and um, 
which got me out of the factory, mm-hmm. you know, and then I, they, they, they just kind of, I was just more personable and they, I wasn't like a factory rat. It's right out so. of a Billy Joel song. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they, so they, uh, so they, they. And th- so this is Worcester, Massachusetts, where I grew up, and it's, and you know, I've been with the Goo Goo Dolls now six years, and these guys are from Buffalo, and uh, just to throw this little thing in there, this is probably the first time in my life, like the first project I've been a part of, where I could, I could uh, wave my city flag like as a badge of honor, right, right, because when they asked me where I was from. These guys didn't want me to be some spoiled kid from the valley. Oh, yeah. Or, like, they, like, this dude grew up, like, he would be working in a factory. Those guys know they'd be working in a factory had they not pursued music. So there's this weird, they relate to me a lot because those cities are very similar. They're very, like, the towns. The snow belt. I'm from uh, Syracuse area. Oh, okay. Well, you know that. I know plenty of that that, that game for sure. So, yeah, so that's, speaking of my day job, that kind of like, so, but yeah, that's where I had a bunch of odd jobs from like 16, you know, getting out of high school and stuff like that. But that one I had about four years and I was, I, I literally almost killed myself. And, and I mean it seriously, I came down with this thing called cytomegalovirus, which is CMV, which is like mono times 10. And it's just burning the candle at both ends. But is it an effective materials you were working with and stuff or well no no had nothing to do with nothing to do with that stuff just being out till two in the morning playing music Mm. seven nights a week getting up at 6 a.m and i ran myself ragged uh, so bad i was bedridden for like six weeks and that's when i decided i have to choose one or the other i can't you know and it was an easy decision (laughs) But that's how stubborn I was, and that's how blue-collar of a city I came from. It's like, I need health insurance. Or I always was chasing the carrot, but I didn't believe in it 100%. Mm-hmm. You know, so I really just, I, I just, okay, well, I need a day job. All my friends have day jobs. You know, I grew up in a city that, you know, if you acted like a rock star or even just a, somebody that's living a, 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 a different yeah. An alternate kind of life, you know. They laugh at you, or they bust your balls all the time. Yeah, I really grew up in that kind of stuff, and then really, and not to suck up the time, but fast forward when I finally moved to L.A. I always tell this story. I moved to Silver Lake in a house in a, to a, a, a friend that had already moved there, and then uh, I hadn't seen the house yet. Just moved in that day. The next morning, nine or ten in the morning, we're walking to the coffee shop, and there's a drummer in his car. With, um, shit all, with like, all his shit in there. there, and I looked and I said, "I'm home. <laughs> I don't have to explain to anybody so yeah. what I do for a living. I don't, or nobody's going to ask me. Well, what do you really do? Or you know, or bumping an old lady. You know, I was like, oh yeah, my son doesn't know what he wants to do yet either. That's you so know, funny, like because I would have, I would have, I would have thought, oh shit, the gig's taken. There's someone here, you know. Like, yeah. I the mean, city's full of them. Yeah, yeah. But that's, <laughs> well, that that's too. so that relatable too. to how I grew up too, because it's the same. It's the same thing. I'm from a farm town in New Hampshire, yeah. 500 people, and um, I grew up milking cows and doing that that kind of work. And it was just the way the way things were. And I I actually remember, now that you're talking about it, I remember uh, at, at least one occasion where someone was just like, "Man, yeah, but what do you really do? What do you?" What, that's that's a that's a hobby. This is what you do, and it's yeah. I, I can 
I have PTSD now because of you. Thanks a lot, Craig. <laughs> triggered. Yeah, where did you, triggered. Where did you, which restaurant did you work Upper West Side in New York City? Uh, I worked at a chain called Lepanko TDN. It's like a glorified coffee shop. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was it was cool. My friend Ryan got me the got me the gig, and it was really important that I got that gig right as I moved to New York because I couldn't afford the rent that was due in like three weeks from then. So yeah. I was, well, I want to get there. Yeah, I was I was very uh, <laughs> I was very happy to have the job, and then I got you know I started working more in New York and and burning the candle at both ends, and I, I ended up sleeping in the car some nights because it was so far away from where I was at in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. You right, know, right. it was just like an hour and a half, and I had to be there clocking in at 6 a.m. every morning and then doing gigs and sessions and rehearsals all day for the rest of the day when the shift was over. It was exhausting, but but really um, beneficial as far as... I mean, that's intriguing to me because I lived in New York and it was... I mean, I had to have a job. I mean, I you know, graduated college with an advertising degree, but I had to have a job yeah. that paid me to get there. And so I know even the moving to, you know, from New Hampshire to New York or L.A. or, yeah. you know... Where were you from? Boston area? Uh, basically Worcester. Okay, but Worcester. I ended up living in Boston for 10 years um, and then moving to LA. But it's such a hurdle. And I've it's become one of my favorite questions is like, how did you how did you make that move? Like, literally, how did you make that move? Did you, you know, some guests have took a job and saved up and have a couple thousand dollars and got to LA. And then it's like, what's your first phone call? Like, what what's the, you know, how do you get there? What's your first call? And what happened? Not to... God. And Griffin, you're already there. Like, how's it? How's it different for you? Oh, in LA? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about this is kind of piggybacking off of your initial question about the band thing versus the the freelance thing that he was talking that uh, Matt was talking about. Um, I I never really was stuck in a garage and decided one morning, you know what? I can't wait to make this my job. You know, let's mm-hmm. let's do this thing. Let's let's hit it with both feet on the ground. Let's go. You know. No holds barred. We're, we're going in. Um, music just kind of became this thing where I could make money doing it. For better or for worse, it started out being the corporate wedding thing and teaching lessons. And it just kind of was a trade, uh, a craft you know, from the beginning. And, and I mean, I had my own hurdles to get over so that I you know, could, could incorporate some more creativity and some art into the music that I made. And I got that from college and stuff, and, and thankfully I was able to because it can get very stale just doing the cover stuff. But um, I was fortunate in that way where it kind of was just – I never really had to say, well, I really, I really want to start making a living doing this. It, it just kind of became that way. And I was selling shoes in high school um, <laughs> at a sporting goods store, and then I did that until I started having to call out too much to do gigs. And uh, one of the reasons it took me away from school, and I had a hard time finishing school for a while because I was always going to gigs, and I took a tour and um, and all that. So it kind of was always a part of what I was doing, the, the, the craft aspect of the music. Was that tour at the time, was that a big break, or was that just something you could do, and it's like getting out there and, you know, being a... Getting in a van, or what was the context? Yeah, in, of that? in a way, it was, it was a Sabrina Carpenter okay. uh, gig with the Disney Channel. Okay. So, I mean, it was a pretty relevant gig, and it's kind of like the first major visibility thing I'd ever done. And, and I mean, again, all these points are kind of intertwining. It, that was probably the first one that I started to realize um, the emotional trap that is thinking that something's a big break, mm-hmm. like how dangerous that is. Um, mm-hmm. 
it can really push complacency and and that sort of thing into your mind. Um, oh, this is it, guys. Right. You know, I've got this, and you're bring the, on the endorsements. You're Let's at that go. Age. You're at that age, too. Right? <laughs> you know? You're at the age where your shit doesn't stink. Right. That's exactly right. And um, and also, you're in L.A., which is, we could, we, we can all relate to this when you first get to L.A., especially when you're young like I was, mm-hmm. or I'm still young, but, <laughs> uh, but I, I got there at 21, and I was like, first call you get is like dude there's a red carpet event happening and you know you get there and it's just like three feet of <laughs> step and repeat and, it, and like I, I you know 10-15 years later I could like I a would, red doormat I would yeah. so much rather be home watching Netflix mm. and, and it, yeah it's just it, it, you feel like everything's the biggest especially when you're 21 it's like Everything's the biggest thing ever, and you've made it, and mm-hmm. right. bring on the endorsements. Right, <laughs> yeah. but with, with your age and a, ba- a Disney backing, was it, it probably was a pretty good paying gig. No, it was fairly good. Uh, you know, I learned a lot about how someone can break a weekly rate down into a show day or a non-show day, and like how that all kind of happens, and how things can be like, oh, we're you weren't quite out a week, so right. oh, you know that we can't actually pay you that full rate, and. Um, there's there's so much. I mean, I guess especially in, in LA, but there's there's so much um, sparkle that can be dropped on things with with certain names and certain labels and certain uh, a lot of like maybe YouTube or, or social media followings mm-hmm. like that can all play into this hype, and that is exciting for a young player. It's like oh, I will go out for less than a thousand dollars for that. Like that yeah, sounds yeah. great, you know? Because imagine the things it's going to show you or whatever it might be. Um, yeah, Sprinter, you know, would be great, you know, across the country for 20 <laughs> weeks, you know. Um, and it is, and it is. Totally. But, you know, like we've all done time in the Sprinters and the Vans, and it's, right. it's crazy, and it's great, and I'll never forget those experiences. But yeah, you gotta you got to stand up for yourself. I think those balance, I mean, those balances are always there. I think what, what Craig was hitting on is like following those carrots no matter what, focusing on the hard work no matter what, feeling... Like maybe to add something, feeling like where you're at is a super, super, super exciting, special spot that you're in and, mm-hmm. and maybe buying all into that and saying, this is my priority right now. You guys called me about this. There, there's something to be said mm-hmm. there too. Mm-hmm. You know, not just saying, oh, this is, this isn't going to lead to anything. You guys are just going to pull the rug out from under me again. You can get there too. That's no, that's not a good place to be. Yeah. Right. You know, so there's, I guess there would be a dichotomy for, for all that stuff. But. And in that way, you're kind of. You're not in a band, but you do have that mentality of like we're out there in this little sardine can on the road, trying yeah. going across the country and around the world, and we're all on the same team. We're on the front lines. We gotta we gotta do this thing, man. We gotta yeah. be a unit, even if it's an artist or and you're hired to be there. It's like you you do have this camaraderie of we're really out there slugging. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny Griffin mentioned something just about like you know the making it a week or not a week. Did you, was there any um, business class, music business classes? In, I think there in are. Berkeley? I don't think I took any. I don't <laughs> remember much. I, I wasn't like a party or anything. I just, you know, so much of so much of what you learn there has to do with what you're not, what's not in the classroom, and mm-hmm. and um, that that was more of what I took away from right. that place. And Craig, in your band days, did you get to a point where you were being courted, or you had your dinners with A&R reps, or you know, did you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, in these things that, in hindsight, you could see like. So yeah, yeah I mean, in the '90s, I don't think it exists today, but in the '90s in Boston, 
you know, there was a rep from Reprise there. There was, there, there was, um, you know, people from labels cause it was, you know, there's right. a great history there. Um, that's part of the carrots too. Well, Aerosmith's from here and Jake Isles is from here and Guster and kind of the Pixies and all these things that come out of Boston. So there was labels still around. Um, I wouldn't say there was major A&R meetings in those days. There was definitely like meeting people that were those people, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say they were. I don't remember anything. There was a meeting kind of, you know, you I remember, I remember giving somebody, you know, like we would give somebody a demo, right? We would get a response back. They might come to the gig and take off halfway through and then you'd really don't know what's on their mind. There was a lot of that, but it was enough to kind of salivate um, and keep going. There was a lot. There was a lot of that. A lot of near misses that happened in my Boston days. Right, right. Um, and it got to the point where, I mean, those last couple years, last few years, I was in LA. I was playing with a, a an Americana band. There was this guy Johnny A. I worked with. who was, you know. Uh, instrumental guitar thing it was like a Jeff Beck meets Chris Isaac kind of thing I had another project with this guy Rick Barton who was the songwriter for Dropkick Murphys so I was getting really schizophrenic and I was getting really broke Um, and a couple of my friends were moving to LA so that was that was kind of it they said well, if you want to like play a bunch of different kinds of music, why don't you come to L.A. because you'll actually get paid. Right. But, but <laughs> so, I, I pulled out a quote of yours saying you were paying dues more than getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that's that's something to be said for the being yeah. open to different kinds. I had a really I wasn't rich enough to pay my dues. Yeah, that's the yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a really important teacher early on named Marcus Copening up in Vermont, and I would go to his house, and he would show me Every every guy he would show me Fleetwood Mac, he would show me uh, Coltrane, he would show me some prog metal records, he would show me those some old BB King stuff, Zeppelin, and I hadn't really had that until then. I I, I kind of grew up. My 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 older brother Mike would show me different music that we just grew up. Whatever he was listening to, I was listening to, and it was kind of one thing. And then I had that important person in my life who was like, no, no. no the spectrum is super wide and right. drums are cool music is cool mm-hmm. get into this and get into everything in between these two things and mm-hmm. really get into it and uh, that, that was that was important for me it, mm-hmm. and I think I think it helps to just be have that kind of attitude in your in the freelance world or even if you're in a band whatever it is just to be open to different kinds of music it's, it's hard to it's it's very simple, but it's a hard. It's easier said than done sometimes. Right. Yeah. Um, quickly, I've been dancing around the big break, and correct me if I'm wrong. I'm gonna. Was your big break Grace? Yeah. Grace Potter. Yeah. Um, and Craig, yours was Josh. Groban? On a on a you know bus touring bus arena kind of level. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. And Griffin, I uh, I know you mentioned uh, what was her name, Sabrina. Mm-hmm. Sabrina was Parker. it her? or Was it uh, Jesse? You did a thing with Jesse. Oh, I, I did. A, I did a one gig, a one off with Jesse McCartney. Uh, I would say to date, this has been my my top uh, experience so far with Alan. With, with Alan. Yeah, this I, makes I, it such a cool interview. Right. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a cool way. Yeah, really yeah. I'm super. I'm super glad to be here, and, and thank you guys who include me. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I would I would have to say that where I'm at right now is. 
with everything. I mean, the people that I get along with, the camp, the other camps, and the music that we're making every night, it's checking all the boxes. For so are you guys together for all 40, I think it's 45 yeah. dates? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. we should clarify. Yeah. We're all on tour together. Train, Goo Goo Dolls, and Alan Stone. Yeah. We're all touring together. We see each other every and day. And uh, just... Both Goo Goo Dolls and Train camps are just geeking out on Alan Stone every night. So it's it's been a it's been a really yeah, amazing experience. It's a great night of music. We'll see and where we're guys, at on guys, the other end of yeah. it. We might be at each other's throats sure. several weeks from Check now. Check back. Uh, you guys right almost, now we're good. <laughs> I think you're almost halfway through the, the tour. Um, had you guys known Griffin prior to the tour? No. Or has it been so? It's okay. No. So it's um, we, hadn't, we hadn't met. I had met cool. Craig a couple years ago, and he's become a, a really good friend and mentor and an important fixture in my life just whenever I have stuff coming up professionally I know Craig's been through it 10 times whatever it is and so I always hop on the phone with him and get his judgment on everything so it's how'd you two first meet uh we met just just mutual mutual friends friends, yeah Yeah. his name was coming up a lot too you know and uh I had like don't hire this guy yeah (laughs) I had, le- I had left L.A. probably around the time he was moving there. And uh, mm-hmm. so we heard each other's names like right away. I had known about you and been a fan of yours for a long time. So, Thank you. Yeah. But yeah, we just have lots of mutual friends. And uh, when I moved to L.A., somebody said, yeah, man, there's this coffee drummer hang going on. And I'm like, what is that? What is that? You know? So... So we go to this, you know, and there's like 20 drummers there. And what was beautiful about it is coming from the band world and kind of coming from this territorial thing, like, you know, sitting sitting there and having all these drummers around that were so different. Like this guy like plays speed metal and this guy's a jazz guy and, and everybody just got along and was so supportive. There's no weird territorial thing in LA mm-hmm. and then and coming from the East Coast it was, it's a not to dog on the East Coast but it's maybe just my my elements where I was from but it it really got that way to me it really got this I was really suffocated and it was like if I did something on a Monday with one guy the guy that I played with on Wednesday was pissed off that I played with the guy right, on right. Monday it was yeah. very weird and immediately when I moved to L.A., there was that, not just that support in playing gigs that was totally cool and, and had a, a freedom to it, but the drummer community. I just never imagined having all these drummer friends. I mean, like, I would say, like, you know, more than half of my friends are drummers and great drummers and successful drummers and stuff like that. But nobody's, like, weird about each other. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's... I mean, we've been on auditions with some of my friends and this right. guy gets it over me and I get it over him and and it's just like and that night we're just like out having a drink and laughing about it mm-hmm. that's amazing that would never happen in Boston that was not I, my I, I world love that. that's so true that's everyone in LA uh, at least the drummers right. <laughs> drummer community gets gets along so well and they're all cheering each other on and there's just this mutual respect I've kind of found. I mean, since since starting the show, and you know, I I tend to go on social media a lot to you know to track you guys and see what you're doing. It's amazing how many times I'll see you guys with other musicians that either had on or just you know. It's a lot of times I I find out who people are. Like, who's this guy? And if he's tagged, I'll find you know he's another drummer here. Then it's all you know. It's just stuff I kind of put in the you 
a back burner for when they come through town. I'll, I'll approach them. But my point is, I can, yeah, I, I can attest. I've seen it that you guys do, you know, especially during Nam. <laughs> yeah. It's always like there's always a close of ten of you guys together, or you know, at the, you know. Someone said uh, the only reason to go to Nam is to <laughs> see your friends. Someone, <laughs> said, someone said about Nam, you pay sixty dollars for parking to get twenty dollars. In free guitar picks. <laughs> um, how about making money outside of what you're doing immediately? Like, I would classify you guys, you know, you're, t- you're touring musicians, you're, you're playing on recordings, you're, you're studio guys. Are any of you guys have extracurricular stuff in or outside music? Are any of you doing, I, I think, Griffin, are you still doing lessons? I love education. Yeah, I love education um, in, in the private lessons thing. It, it's... Uh, because it's so sometimes it's more consistent than other times, you mm-hmm. know. But then I'll leave for for twelve weeks, and then I'll come back, and I'm totally refreshed. Like I, I taught a few lessons. We had like a, a six day break um, between the two runs of this tour, and I lined up some lessons. Came back, and I had I had I was like full. Right. I was ready to share, and it, it was just I remembered how much that means to me. I don't know if I would ever, I would never say never, but do the the music school thing where you have one after the other. Right, right, right. Really finding the kids who want to learn is is such a nice balance to what we do. What about, uh, you had a TV appearance recently as the military drummer on uh, The oh, Real O'Neills? Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's right. Is, yeah. that, is, that, is that, I mean, and I've, I've asked this <gasps> question in the past. That pays really well. <laughs> it's so funny you say that. Um, I've done a drumline scene in The Gambler, the remake of The Gambler with Mark mm. Wahlberg. I did two episodes of This Is Us. That was actually... It's movie night. Oh man, <laughs> get it on the screen, man! You're gonna you're gonna check to see if I've nailed my my. Oh, that traditional well, grip looks a little line? off. On the real O'Neills, I did. I was dressed no, but to, like in high school. That were you in? The yes. Drum? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you got the whole. I marched bass drum. I never did though. That. I never did anything oh, but the bass drum. Um, I did one year of it. Right. And then, and then I did the, the jazz band. But yeah, this is us. Was filmed at uh, the Hotel Cafe. I was in Mar- uh, in uh, Mandy Moore's little jazz trio thing. <laughs> I did that. I did uh, Life in Pieces as like this kind of punk rock band. So a few of these sidelining things. But it's so funny. Like every every year we get. That's how Barry Squire started. Is that right? Barry Squire was a was a drummer, and he's a the music reference guy that he high, puts together auditions mm-hmm. in L.A. But that's how he got his career. If you watch any like old John Hughes movie and all those movies from the '80s, and yeah. you see a drummer playing a prom in the background. Yeah. <laughs> That's Barry Squire. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Well, that I mean, that's Hollywood a, grip. That's dude, awesome. I'm telling you, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm extremely interested in in continuing to do that kind of work, just because it's it's nice, you know. It's it's just a little bit of you know, little back end money, I suppose. Yeah, you know, absolutely. So. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Fun. Matt, what about you? Do you have? Uh, you... I mean, I work. I do sessions when I'm off the road, and and I, I've actually done. Like since I moved to LA, I've I've done basically three years of just being in town doing sessions and stuff. So touring again is is a little bit weird right now, but uh, you know it's I'm figuring it back out and being on the road again. And but yeah, fill in the blanks when I'm around. What is this prison? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the yeah. big joke. Yeah, yeah. What is this prison? Because <laughs> yeah. everything's so great, you know. But yeah, really I fill in the blanks when <laughs> when I'm home. And Craig, the one thing I, I you can answer, but um, are you getting do you, are you getting more into songwriting? I know you had a credit with um, uh, one of the I, tunes from the last album. Yeah, I've done some writing with the Goo Dolls. Um, the only songwriting I'm, I'm doing now is there's a, a friend of mine that 
um, does licensing work. I'm living in Portland, Oregon now. And uh, he's an old keyboard player, lived in L.A., played for Pink. And he's really just trying to be off the road and do licensing stuff. So we get together and just write all kinds of stuff, weird instrumental stuff. And But as far as, like, you know, writing, writing, like writing songs, stuff like that, not so much. Mm-hmm. So we have this little uh, backstage at these shows. Uh, the training dressing room has has a little setup, like a little tiny small practice kit and little t- practice amps and guitars and stuff. And Craig will come back and make me look like such an asshole because he he comes back and the the guys are all jamming on like whatever song from the eighties or you know uh, whatever song. And I don't know it. I don't know anything about this music. And Craig just comes. And he's like, "Oh, you're playing that song." He knows all the hits, and I'm the odd guy out. <laughs> he, he pokes his head in, and he's, he's like, got to move, move over, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then can play it on guitar and piano. I don't get out much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what does the future hold for you guys? Where do you want to, you know, where do you want to push it in the next five, ten years? Which, which I like this question because I think we're looking at different. I think we're going to be on this tour, tour right? Five, <laughs> ten years. <laughs> at least dealing with the trauma for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> Uh, you know, I don't know. It's I've never really had a, a five-year plan or a ten-year plan or any of that. I've just kind of, if, if something feels right, I've gone with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's about as simple as it gets for me. I don't know. What about, are you going to stay in L.A.? Yeah, yeah. And um, I hope to be playing with Train for a long time. And, you know, it's been it's been really great. So more of more of that, I'm very happy. Okay. Griffin, as the I'm assuming the youngest youngest here, yeah. Do you uh, where, where do you where do you want to take things? Well, uh, after uh, getting back on the road after about four years, I, last time I toured was about four years ago. Um, I fell in love with it on on this run. Like I would love to continue to do that. And um, he's got a good frisbee throw. I've got a good frisbee throw. I, my basketball game really needs some improvement. So wherever we it go, it came alive last it's night. It's okay. Though, about halfway through, the ball was over and flew. Yeah, I think it was. That's what I <laughs> but um, man, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realize how important the right situation is, and how whenever you have a perspective about something, it's it's usually because you haven't found the right thing like mm-hmm. a, oh, I hate going out I hate being social well you probably don't have the right group of friends you know I hate doing this I hate doing these kind mm-hmm. of gigs well you, maybe you haven't found the right sort mm-hmm. of situation right. I hate doing weddings well maybe it could be the vibe around the wedding gig because you know things on their own are not bad right so the um, the awesome music that I make with Alan every night uh, and working with an artist that is just such a natural leader, so hands-off, kind of letting people do what they want to do as musicians, um, it kind of restored a lot of faith. And being with the other bands and with their crews, um, I was just talking with my dad on the phone the other day where I was just thinking, these are my people. Like, this mm-hmm. is where I need to be. These people are punctual. They're professional. You know, for the most part, uh, the you part, got lucky. <laughs> I did, I did. You know, and maybe that's what it is. I'm just so grateful that that it's the right situation. But well, no. you're you're at a good time, yeah, for this this kind of world because you know because I've been doing it a little bit longer. Like, but not you, to interrupt you, are you, but is is 2019 in this day and age? Is everybody on time? That's what and, I mean. And that's, you're getting that's to the point where like it used to be. That's what, yeah. Bit, my point know. is that you know this like. I think 
when the industry was bigger, you know, there was more stuff to do. Axel. But there was, <laughs> yeah, there was more, there was more room to yeah. slack. I think now, like, nobody has patience anymore. It's like, you, you like, if lobby calls at one o'clock, you know, it, you know, my friend Tarek always says, you know, if you're on time, you're late. Totally. You yeah. know, and uh, it's true. You know, I and get to the lobby like, 10 minutes, 10 of one. You yeah. Know? We all, we all were ahead of schedule getting here, right? You know, we started yeah. this interview like seven <laughs> minutes before we were going mm. to. Uh, and, and like everyone's, everyone's vegan and drinking celery juice and healthy. It's, it's totally not the, the world that you it's, maybe yeah, some people it, think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. And I was just listening to a podcast of my friend who's always been very sober and very successful drummer and, um, just listened to it yesterday and, you know, it's like he kind of talks about how he's found other things to kind of, um, you know, he made a good point. He said, you know, he when he was younger, he wanted to be punk rock, you know. And then when he said, well, if I throw this TV out the window, um, like, who's going to pay for it? Like, <laughs> like uh, who's going to go to jail? Who's going to? He goes, once you start thinking that way, you're not punk rock anymore. <laughs> you don't. He said, you don't think about the second half when you're punk rock. We think about the second half. We think That's about right. consequences. We want to get to the finish line, yeah. and. Um, so I mean, music is you know music has been my. I come from a family of alcoholics, but like I stayed pretty sober through my whole life. Music is my my drug. I mean, it really is. You know, it's like you know my friends would be getting high listening to Pink Floyd. Yeah, it sounds pretty good when you're high, but it's like no, this already makes me feel high. Yeah, like I don't need it yeah. to feel. This is intense right. shit. I don't need a, a crutch next to it. You know yeah. what I mean? And. Uh, I think that's just like our attitude with this. Like we, we have a high of just being around good people yeah. and, and just, you know, making every two and four count every night, mm, yeah. you know, that, that means, you know, mm-hmm. it's like a whole different perspective the and the crews and everything. I think there's just no room for people to be late, people to be screwed up on the gig. And, you yeah, know, I think we have seen that shift. Yeah. I think, I think we, when, when train shows up for sound check, I think we annoy the crew a little bit because we're usually hanging around like twenty minutes before hang, sound check, and they're like, "No, we were not ready for the band. Yeah, yeah, give yeah, us, yeah. yeah. just yeah. stick to the day yeah. sheet, yeah. man. <laughs> sound checks at two, not at one thirty. We'll get there so early, we need the hard hats when they're yeah. still hanging. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we're psyched to be there and psyched to play, and it's absolutely, it's, you know, absolutely it's a great. There's a, a great lot of waiting around, you know. Yeah. There's a lot of waiting, and I can see why people. Got into their vices, you know, back in the day and stuff like that. Now they can do podcasts. Now, now we, we can, can do, do great stuff like this. Stuff like this. Yeah. We're talking about will you stay in LA? I mean, you're, you're from, I mean, basically from that area, right? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Um, touring around, I take it the I take it an opportunity to see the, the rest of the country, and um, I've found that I love like the the South area. Like I was already thinking about Charlotte or Nashville. Something like that. I mean, um, but Nashville's I always great. Yeah, I mean, I always get back to how much music, how much variety of music is happening in Los Angeles. Yeah, I'm already there. Every time I talk to people around the country, it's like I would love to move to LA and do music. It's like I'm already there. So yes, for the, yeah, every, for the everybody <laughs> I know who grew up in LA, it, it was so the opposite of what us not being from LA. We just thought if you were from LA, you were flaky or you were stuck up or something like that. Everybody I knew that grew up in L.A. is just the most amazing people. Like, just 
really, really cool. And just it's it's totally the opposite. And I wonder if it's maybe just because things don't affect them. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's not a big deal if you saw Tom Cruise on walking on Sunset. <laughs> right, right. Like it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like to us, we moved to L.A. and I mean, when I moved to L.A., I I was old enough to be jaded, but <laughs> I was still kind of like those carrots came out. You know, it's like wow, I went to this party and this person was there and this person was there. And I'm like, I'm not that kind of person. Yeah. But I still got wrapped up in that. I got affected right. you know, by it a little bit. Um, I won't go deep in this, but it's funny. I noticed, and you're, you're saying about your, your equipment, but you guys play the, pretty much the same setup, that four-piece setup. I know you have, you have a, a, like a side tom. But, oh, yeah. um, I mean, I basically play that. I have some accoutrements on my kit but I basically play a four piece <laughs> you know, I, so funny. So I, I just I think you're friends with Dax Nielsen right very very nice. um, I just talked to him a couple weeks ago and you know just doing studying him it's like I, I didn't realize when did the second floor tom go away it always used to be it always used oh, to yeah. be there well and he's the first guy I saw like you do a four four piece kit and he's like yeah and then I checked each one of you guys you get a pretty much four piece kit me yeah. and Craig are playing two four Tom. two four terms. I have one. one yeah and they have I think you guys have 16, 18 16, both 18. right oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. and I've got uh, yeah. and I have a, I have uh, 14, 12 uh, 14 and then a 22 inch kick so my, my kit's dialed down that's what I typically play um, but yeah they, they both have the double snares and or yeah. double double toms. I still think of my kit as a four piece kit. Same here. Yeah, that extra floor tom is just for a little boom at the end of songs right, and right. stuff like that. My favorite part of Craig's kit is he's got a side snare, this beautiful Ludwig Superphonic, off to the left, with a towel draped over it and a single metronome there. I'm like, that's an expensive metronome stand. <laughs> it's and basically just playing, for a spare. Are you playing DWs? I am I am a DW guy. I just and Ludwig. Ludwig. I I play Ludwig at home on this tour since it was so last minute. They had a Mapex kit okay. uh, up already, uh, packed up and ready to go. I didn't have to ship anything. But that thing sounds great. You make that thing sound great. We swapped it out to Remo, which I love to play, and I brought my uh, Maple. It's the Archer, uh, not the Arrow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> brought my Maple uh, Ludwig snare, so we're, we're dabbling. You know, Frankenstein. And Ludwig. Uh, yeah, it's all Ludwig for me. Now, are you guys particular about that? You know, saying it's the archer, not the arrow. Are you? Are, um, are you happy to? T- I mean, I don't want. I don't want to you know, take it down to like take the best offer, but you know. Well, I mean, that being said, are you I mean, a connoisseur with your drums, or it's like you can get what you want out of most outfits? I think ninety percent of the time you can get uh, what you want. I mean, there's like you know, our friend Victor and Drizzle has a great concept of how to make a crappy set sound good. He has all these ways of just putting muffling and stuff like that. That we have to do sometimes with backline kits. And yeah, like but, but I mean, just from the, like on the gig, it's usually the same thing, but when you're doing some studio stuff, I mean, at home, I just have a million snare drums and a million yeah. different cymbals and a few different kick options. And I'm, I have like the least amount of drums that than any of my friends, you know, they all have five different kits that they use, you know, and, and it's, the options are endless. You do need the right tools, and, and I've realized that, you know, like when I listen to stuff I did when I was younger, it's like, wow, that's five songs in a row that that snare drum is the same snare, mm-hmm. and it, you know, okay, you know, like, you could use more stuff, for sure, <laughs> but uh, one of the biggest, one of the biggest lessons for me was, um, 
being in school or something, you know, and, and, and really just having a hard time getting my hands around a chart or whatever. And, uh, being frustrated with my playing. And then all of a sudden, um, a clinician would come in and sit down and read the same chart down and it would sound amazing. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's not the kit. I can stop shaking my fist at that <laughs> stupidly tuned snare drum or that, that throne that's too no low. No two players sound the same. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, I, I would imagine, maybe some people don't have this issue, but when you're first coming up, if you're jumping in at a jazz festival with your high school or you're doing that, you're going to sit on some kits that are wide open. It's going to be something you're not used to doing. And it really shows you that it's your touch. It's your playing. It's your control that is affecting how this sounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, yeah, sure, my, that, that snare drum might sound like crap, but how's your time feel? Right, right. If that's not together, it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so I'll, uh, I'll wind things down. I always uh, finish with the same five questions, so I'll spread the wealth oh, nice. to everybody. Okay. First question, apologies to anybody in L.A. because it's, it actually hits home sometimes, but hypothetically, if your house is on fire, your loved ones are safe, your pets are safe, what do you run back in and get? That has the most sentimental value to what you do. Oh, I already know. So, so, I <laughs> loved ones are safe. Everything's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the other day, uh, on the Fourth of July, an earthquake happened in L.A., and all I could look at in the house was these these resonators, these uh, these synthesizers. Oh, yeah, that yeah. My girlfriend's project. You know, they're they're two of three that exist in the world and it's a long story but she's doing a documentary her dad she never knew her dad but he was inventing these and she's finishing the project and it was so it was so weird that my I had never been in that position I hadn't been in that position yet but all I was looking at was like okay catch the resonators if they're gonna fall <laughs> so that that would be mine is her Kickstarter still going or is that concluded? it's over but okay. she's yeah she's saying if you want to plug it go for it well just look up resonator it's with a Y R-E-S-Y-N-A-T-O-R She's awesome. Griffin? Uh, I keep um, a stack of uh, poems that my grandfather, my late grandfather, wrote me uh, for every birthday and stuff. And all cards I get from friends and family. Uh, That's pretty much the only thing that's not digital that has sentimental value to me. Mm -hmm. That's that's definitely what I grab. Okay. Is there anything that has to do with your career or your music history or any tchotchke or, you know... (sighs) Everything is, I guess... Not that that's the wrong answer. Yeah, no, everything's digitized. Like, everything that I have, like, that would be, like, self-marketing materials. It's all on the cloud. It's all... I mean, maybe I would go for my laptop or... uh, Yeah, other than that, I... I, You know, if... Gear can be replaced, for instance, you know? Okay. I was hoping to have a great answer going around. Um, (laughs) Your first laminate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, There we go. Well, just to just to get the gear thing out of the way, um, uh, I have a uh, '68 Ludwig's, and I could find another great Ludwig kit, obviously. But you know that it's more than just that. It's a, a kit. It's in great shape, and mm. it's a vintage kit. It really because there's been times I've come close to selling it and uh, trying to get out of the vintage market or something. But friends remind me, they go. That's on a lot of records. Yeah. You know, like that is a lot, you know, that. So it is more, maybe it, it doesn't have to be a 68 Ludwig. Maybe if it was a 79 North kit, who knows? But if it had been on a bunch of records, mm-hmm. I got to think of it that way. You yeah. Know? So that would be, you know, I would feel the loss of something like that. Yeah. yeah. You know, 
I have a 30s Leedy snare drum that I that, and it's not even because it's old or valuable it's because I use it on everything and it's right. like the, the fat snare drum that I have but yeah. awesome tunes it's like yeah, there's one there's, there is one drum that I yeah. I'm not really precious about gear but that's that's one I'll never not have yeah, yeah. alright question two uh, is typically with a single uh, interviewer interviewee um, if I were to, at liberty to give you a million dollars to give to one charity, which one charity would you donate it to? Oh, so you each get, what, $330,000? Right. we got to split it. <laughs> um, the only one I can think of that comes to mind instantly is the North Shore Animal League. Mm -hmm. um, and that's because I listen to a lot of Howard Stern, and he's a big part of that charity. Right. And they rescue too. animals. Yeah. And, yeah. Are you a pet owner? No. Maybe someday though. Okay. Dog. I'm a yeah. new dog owner. So. Oh, nice. Do Congrats. <laughs> Get on it. Griff. Maybe uh, like a Children's Miracle Network uh, or like one of those. Uh, like Make a Wish. Make a Wish. Mm -hmm. One of those charities that really bring the the light to the kid who's yeah, yeah. who's on maybe their last their last legs for sure or Wounded Warrior. Mm -hmm. Really helping out the the veterans. I, I feel like those guys can really get forgotten and they need a lot of help out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, w I would split up my million. Um, Wounded Warrior is one that my band does a lot. I was going to say that when he mentioned that. And we do. We also do um, St. Jude's. Yep. Um, uh, I already donate to Planned Parenthood. I did that on... I started that on uh, November 9th, 2016. Um, and, uh, but also uh, anything to do with animals. You know, I have a rescue. Um, and, uh, yeah, I really believe in you yeah. know just that okay Good. something animal related yeah question three is what would your walk-up music be to the pearly gates <laughs> to the pearly gates i thought you were gonna say if i was pitching for the red Sox <laughs> and i would walk out. uh same thing uh something by fleetwood mac uh gold dust woman is Mick your kind of i think he's my favorite drummer you know he's just hypnotic and amazing does yeah. he have a lot of legendary stories of like? Uh... Yeah, my friend Jay McMillan told me a story. Uh, he showed up to a session and and like he was in regular street clothes and he was going to play on someone's record and he got like a couple bottles of really expensive wine and they were going to start tracking. And he goes, "Hold on one minute," and he went to the bathroom and got changed and he became Mick Fleetwood and with the white <laughs> shirt and the vest and the chain and everything and uh, and then did the did the tracking and then got back into his street clothes to leave and he became not Mick Fleetwood you know and it, that, that really blew my mind and it made sense so, so I think yeah Gold Dust Woman sure okay that's a good one Man, uh, one of my, my dad's favorite songs was More Than a Feeling by Boston yeah uh, I'd probably I'd probably have to throw that one in there okay great I'll pick a long one, maybe. Uh, Echo, Echoes by Pink Floyd. You want to get in there? Get in there and make sure it's, you know they don't change maybe, your mind. Maybe uh, Echoes by Pink Floyd or Saucerful of Secrets by Pink Floyd. Hmm. Which okay. Saucerful of Secrets is supposed to be, the song was supposed to be about what death feels like. Wow. Which is pretty it, heavy. It is. So heavy. The, first yeah. half of the first half of the song is literally them guys doing probably the craziest noise rock yeah. that would put Radiohead on their ass and then the end of it is just this beautiful this, this beautiful like you know thing that it's all minor key and then at the very end it's just that that major what they call the Pickerdit third or whatever like that you know 
it just ends like that. And you're like, okay, yeah, maybe that's like you're dying. And then, uh, <laughs> like that. Yeah. yeah. Right. And they're nice long songs because I'm not in a rush to, uh, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not in a rush to go uh, somewhere like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. And the flip side of that is what's stuck on repeat in hell. Oh, in hell. <laughs> we built the city. No. Oh, man. Yeah, right. Uh, oh, God. What is music that I don't like? I just heard a podcast that that was proposed to heart originally, that song. Good move. Turned it down. <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's not that I don't hate. It's not that I'm nice enough I mean, it's, to be it's, like, actually, I like everything because well, I don't. A tough, it's a tough question for people in your line of business because it's like, I know. I heard the podcast where you ditch my shit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't care about that. I just, I, I, you know, what, that, hmm. I don't know. So man. many. Damn. Yeah, I, so I hate a lot of stuff. So it's, it's, I, don't, I can't think of anything. I'm sorry, I don't really have an answer. That's right, well, that. you've had to start each time, so yeah. we'll, we'll come back to you. Okay. Uh, there's a song I came across on uh, YouTube years ago, well, maybe not years ago, uh, Friday by Rebecca Black. <laughs> Friday, Friday. Oh yeah, yeah. That would probably be <laughs> That's pretty universal. That yeah. would be going nonstop. Okay. Oh, home. I got one. You reminded yeah. me. Call me maybe. That Yeah. I struggle between songs I never liked and songs that are actually good songs that I never need to hear again. Mm. You know. Let's say Brown Eyed Girl. Mm-hmm. Like like on paper it's a good song. But Never, ever need to hear it again. True. You know? I agree with that. And there's a funny story about Robbie, who's the bass player in the Goo Goo Dolls. We were talking about, like, I, I had an MRI, my first one, last year. And uh, for uh, my arm, got in a car accident. And he says when he went to his, because they play music for you when you go in. I, yeah. and, and they said, what, what do you want to listen to? What, what kind of music do you want to listen to when you're stuck in this tube for 20 to 30 minutes? Yeah. And, he just, and he just said, I don't know, just rock, you know, classic rock or whatever like that. <laughs> and he, he had Brown Eyed Girls stuck on a loop. <laughs> it didn't go that song into another song. It oh. was stuck on a loop. And he just tells the story about sitting in this tube, which if you're even a little bit claustrophobic, which I am, you know, you're sitting in there and he's just hearing this. And he never liked the song to begin with. Right. He actually has a real hatred for the song. I just said, that's not even hell, that's purgatory. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So that one comes to mind probably because of that story. Okay. But, uh, I would say Seasons in the Sun is up there. Okay. There you go. Do you guys that's, know that song? You younger uh, guys? We had joy, we had fun, we had seasons in uh, the sun. Mm-hmm. That, that would be hell. Yeah. But you guys should look it up. It's kind of a, it's, it's a very sad song. But there's, there's so many. Yeah. Okay, last question. Uh, best concert experience as a fan? Oh. Um, I, I, there's a couple that come to mind. Mute Math is a, is a, is a really cool band that I love. I know those guys. I saw them. Uh, at 9.30 Club in D.C. That was wonderful. Uh, one that changed my life, though, uh, Glenn Hansard. Uh, well, it was a Marqueta or Glova. She's, she was the other person in that movie once, mm-hmm. um, the, the kind of love story. And she had a, a, a show, and I, I had become close with Glenn through my friend Jake Clemens, and we were over in Ireland touring, and uh, Marqueta was coming through town and playing it at, at this, like, kind of a really echoey church and it was just perfect for that venue and then she uh, 
she and Glenn hadn't seen each other for a while and and it was kind of tricky anyway and then Glenn showed up in the back of the room and scooted in on like a church bench next to us and he was like just watching the show and uh, at some point she was like I see you back there why don't you come up and play a song and the whole place just was electrified and totally quiet and it was really wonderful wonderful game changer of an experience for me very cool yeah uh, top concert I'd have to say would be uh, Wayne Krantz at the 55 bar just just randomly uh, got in there with uh, watching Keith Carlock on drums um because I mean, on bass, Tim Lafay? No, it was uh, the dude from Snarky Puppy. That's cool, though. He's, he's, he's doing that gig now. Yeah, I just barely got in. You know where they had me? They had me. I was standing on a drum throne where they, extra, where they had extra hardware. I was maybe one of four people that couldn't get in. There was many other people that couldn't, but I just missed it by a little bit. And um, they're like, well, we can put you by the bathroom. You know, so I like yeah. stood up, like peering over everybody by the the spare drum throne, uh, just watching one of my favorite drummers of all time, Keith, just like slay. And how loose the band was, like in the sense that it didn't, they hadn't rehearsed, you know, and and they were kind of just like, oh, we're gonna go here, we're gonna do this four times through, and then we're gonna go to this next section, and just watching Wayne like talk them through was just mind blowing to me. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, I'm the old guy, so I have many. <laughs> But, I mean, a real obvious one for me is I was really lucky to have an older brother. And I started seeing concerts at eight years old. Wow. So my first concert was Queen and Thin Lizzy. Wow. <laughs> that was my first, not, that was just my first, because I was so young, I didn't know what live music was. It was before I knew the erg, what a drum set looked mm-hmm. like. So I was such a music Consumer, even before I started playing drums, or I was tapping around at that age, and uh, so the first, you know, here you go. I walk in, and the the smell of weed back then too, <laughs> and uh, walking into this place, and then the first thing I ever saw was these Marshall stacks with sirens on them, and Thin Lizzy coming out playing Jailbreak, opening with that. I mean, that was like I remember it vividly. That's so I funny. should have forgotten everything. I remember that whole show vividly at that age and then I just started but, but concerts that were life changing was uh, actually seeing the Stray Cats when they came out because mm-hmm. the same night I was going to see Rush and I was all into the big over the top arena rock right, and all right. that stuff and the, every, these guys are larger than life they come stripped down with yeah the, these guys know. are larger than life and this is what it is it's all about Genesis and Rush and all these big bands and then like we used to get in all these venues for free in the city I grew up in and I said alright you know yeah we've seen enough of Rush I've seen them four times so we like go over to this smaller venue and there's the Stray Cats playing and it's like literally a two piece kit and like a trio and the, you know and the guy's like playing like Chet Atkins on steroids and and there's like everybody's kind of got pompadours and it's kind of a punk scene and, and I just that changed my life that was like okay you know, I'm never going to be Neil Peart or Phil Collins or anything like that. Like, but this is like to the roots mm. of everything. You know, so yeah, that that was awesome. that was a big game changer. Well, all right, well, gentlemen, thank you. It's a lot of fun. Thank you for having <laughs> us. This yeah, is great. This is the first time I've done uh, this 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 ensemble and uh, work out well. You want to jump on the bus? We can just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> We're all going to be watching for the next... Watch him in the movies. Yeah. <laughs> oh, too, uh, just for the record, the swing back around, it's Michael League 
on bass with uh, oh yeah, that's with, right. Uh, Keith Puff. Carlock and Ben okay. Krantz. So did that come to you, or did you just look that? No, up? No, no, it just came to me, and, I, and no disrespect, I didn't want to forget. He didn't, he didn't he was, Google. Yeah. It was. For, I have that Google Glass. I pulled it up just by thinking about it. It's pretty incredible. Thank you for having me. Man. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Train drummer Matt Musty, Google Dow's drummer Craig McIntyre, and Alan Stone drummer Griffin Wright. It was a pleasure to talk to all three and hearing both the similarities and differences of their individual experiences. The Train Goo Goo Dolls Allen Stone Summer Tour rolls on through August 17th, so get out and see these guys at a venue near you. As for the Rockonomics Boilerplate sales pitch, for news, photos, and updates, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you like the show, say so by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a rating and review. We'll be back next week with Episode 60 with an instrumentalist who's had the opportunity to play with two acts as they were breaking it big with hit songs and exploding popularity. So please join us for that. It's a good one. All right, episode 59, we miss you already. We'll see you all next week. Good night, Cleveland.